0: chapter one of the day's journey this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org the day's journey by netta syrette chapter one rose summers paused a moment before she lifted the latch of a little gate set between two walls of yew it was june the sky had the blue of larkspur the air was sweet with the scent of flowers the gate in the yew hedge opened upon a small flagged court leading to a porch wreathed with roses above the porch clematis and ivy continued the wall of living green almost to the gables of what had once been an Elizabethan farmhouse and was now the picturesque home of robert kingslake and of cicely his wife to the left above a walled garden great chestnut trees reared their heads and flung shadows across the lane in which miss Summers was standing The stillness, broken only by the sleepy clucking of fowls, was of that peculiar peacefulness which broods over an English countryside. On the white dust in the road, the shadows lay asleep. The trees themselves drowsed against the blue sky. The very roses above the house porch laid their pink faces together, and, cradled in leaves, dreamt in the sunshine. Only a moment passed before Mrs. Summers lifted the latch, yet in that moment she saw in imagination one hill station after another. She hurried through adventures and experiences which had filled five years, and came back to the realization that, in the meantime, her cousin Cicely had just lived here, at the Priory, listening to the clucking of the fowls, looking at the chestnut trees against the sky, perhaps tending the roses round the porch. She walked up the flagged path and rang the bell. The door was opened in a few moments by a neat maid, who said that Mrs. Kingslake was out. But she won't be long, ma'am, if you'll come in, she added. The porch led almost directly into one of those squared panel halls which make the most charming of sitting rooms. At the farther end, a long, low casement window framed a vista of the garden, green, luxuriant, brilliant with flowers. On the window ledge there was a china bowl of sweet peas. Mrs. Summers looked about her with interest. There wasn't much furniture, but each piece, though simple, was beautiful in form at least, and in some cases obviously rather costly. It was furniture chosen with discretion. Better off than they used to be, was her mental comment. She glanced at the fresh chintz curtains, at the two or three little pieces of silver exquisitely cared for, on mantelpiece and tables, at the flowers everywhere. She's as dainty as ever, was her next reflection. A photograph on the top of a writing table caught her wandering attention. She took it up and examined it with interest. It was that of a man of a possible five and thirty clean-shaven handsome with something eager enthusiastic almost childlike about the eyes and the mouth of a sensualist mrs summers replaced the photograph it was of cicely's husband but she was more interested in cicely and of her she could find no picture she walked presently to the door which led into the garden looking out upon its cool greenness and beauty her thoughts were full of its owner a very close friendship rather than the tie of blood bound her to the woman for whose coming she waited much of her girlhood she had spent with cicely and up to the time of her own marriage six years ago she had stayed weeks at a time at the mayor of Val's house in chelsea it had been an interesting house to visit cicely's father a widower and a well-known doctor was the type of man who attracted the better minds the more striking personalities and cicely was undoubtedly the woman to keep them Apparently gazing into the quiet Surrey garden, in reality, Mrs. Summers was looking into the drawing room at the Carmarthen Terrace, seeing it as it had appeared on many an evening in the past. The room was full of firelight and candlelight, a quiet, restful room, a little old-fashioned with the traces of mid-Victorianism brought by Cicely's clever touch into harmony with a more modern standard of taste. Mrs. Summers remembered the pattern on the long chintz curtains remembered the subdued tone on the walls, the china in the big cabinet, the watercolors, which were the pride of her uncle's heart. She saw him talking earnestly at one end of the room, his fine gray head conspicuous among the group of men who surrounded him, men well known in the world of science, of letters, and of art. Even more distinctly, she saw Cicely, the young hostess and mistress of the house, in the midst of the younger men and women of their circle, She heard the laughter, there was always laughter near Cicely, whose airy insouciance was amusing enough successfully to disguise real ability. I'm quite clever enough to pass for a fluffy fool, when necessary. This is a long-ago remark of her cousin's, suddenly recurred to Mrs. Summers, apropos of nothing, and she wondered whether Cicely ever wrote anything now. Then her thoughts went back to Cicely as a hostess. She had been looked upon by some of her friends as a brilliant woman. A woman whose social gifts, whose power of pleasing, as well as leading, should carry her far in the yet wider world which would open for her when she made the excellent marriage that everyone predicted. And after all, Cicely had married Robert Kingslake, a writer with nothing but his pen between him and starvation. Rose remembered the first day he came to the house, a rather somber, rather picturesque figure, with his dark eyes and graceful lithe body. Things moved very quickly after the first evening, so quickly that in retrospect, there seemed to Mrs. Summers to have been scarcely a moment of ordinary acquaintanceship. There was a slight interval devoted to impetuous, ardent lovemaking, and then the wedding, for which she, herself, a year-old bride, had not been able to stay. Her husband's regiment had been ordered to India, a week before Cicely Merivale became Cicely Kingslake, and she had sailed with him a breath of warm air swept towards the open door and fanned the short curtains at the window it brought with it the scent of carnations and to mrs somers a sudden vision of cicely as she had last seen her she was sitting on the edge of her bed in the room at carmarthen terrace the room was flooded with sunshine the basin on the washstand was mrs somers remembered full of carnations and as she entered the room she had exclaimed at their beauty they've just come I'm going to arrange them, Cicely had said. She held a letter which had also evidently just come, and as she raised her head, the look on her face had startled her cousin. She remembered fearing for her. Could any human being with impunity be as ecstatically happy as that? It was like tempting providence. Something of this, half in jest, half seriously, she had tried to say, and Cicely had laughed. The low, trembling laugh, of a delight too deep to find other expression. She had given herself over to her love, as the woman, a little difficult, more than a little fastidious, always gives herself, with a surrender complete and unquestioning. The sunny bedroom, the dainty new frocks over the backs of the chairs, the litter of boxes and paper about the room, the brilliant flowers, and Cicely in her white petticoat, her white shoulders bare, beautiful, proud, and smiling. Mrs. Summers saw her as though five days rather than five years had passed since they had met. She moved and glanced back over her shoulder. The memory was so vivid that it stirred her to impatience. Why didn't Cicely come? A door closed sharply. Where? Where is she? It was the same clear, eager voice, and Mrs. Summers smiled, suddenly reassured. The next moment, Cicely's arms were round her. There was a rush of incoherent questions. Then Rose gently pushed her back, and they looked at one another. Involuntarily, an exclamation rose to the elder woman's lips, mercifully checked as she recognized by Cicely's eager words. You are just the same, she cried. You've scarcely changed at all. And then came the inevitable pause. Rose listened to a thrush singing, into the distant sound of a mowing machine. She seemed to have been listening quite a long time before Cicely broke in so sharply that her voice was almost like a cry. Ah, no! Don't look at me. I'm old and ugly. I've changed. Haven't I, Rose? The question ended in a nervous laugh. End of chapter one